He couldn't sniff Odell Beckham. Don't take care of y'all chicken. You feel me? Don't take care of y'all mental. Welcome in to the Fantasy for Execution Podcast. I am host, Kyle Shadi. With me now and always is my boy, Kyle Settle. What's going on, dude? I have a theory. Oh, boy. And it has to do with the rookie quarterbacks and the slow start that they've gotten off to this season. Would you like to hear it? Would you like to hear my Absolutely. theory? All right. So this comes at the dusk. Don, I always mix them up. It comes immediately following a historically <laughs> bad weekend for rookie quarterbacks. Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones, Davis Mills, actually the rookie QB one on the week. Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, all of them play this week. None of them, depending on your scoring, broke 10 fantasy points at the quarterback position. It has been a slow start for these rookie quarterbacks, but let's take a second. The state of the NFL in 2020, one year ago, historic records for offense, right? There's no fans in the stands. Defenses cannot use that to their advantage. The offenses for almost every team firing on all cylinders. You have to think that that leaks into the college level a little bit too because there was abbreviated seasons. There was guys holding out left and right. There were limited and no crowds depending on the games that you went to. So, Maybe those rookie quarterbacks playing their last year, the ones that were playing last year, got a little bit too used to the easy defenses that they saw. It's already a massive transition to quarterback from the NF from college to the NFL. Just like they say, in college, someone's always open. You just gotta find them. In the NFL, no one's ever open. You gotta throw these guys open. You gotta know the scheme and everything like that. Is it possible that the year long just I guess playing on rookie really affected these rookies? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you when we talked about Tua in the offseason, that was one of the big things we talked about with his slow start. I don't think you could say it, you know, for one quarterback and not think that it didn't also affect other quarterbacks. Um, and also, these guys, you see, I mean, we talked about Zach Wilson has a huge jump to make. Mac Jones is, is playing with limited tools and a very complex offense. And Mac Jones is probably the one who has looked the best out of all the rookies. I don't think that's really up for debate right now in spite of the three interception week he's coming off of. And that has a lot to do with the fact that there was one thing you said about Mac Wilson in the draft. It was that he was the most pro-ready quarterback in the draft. So it makes sense that maybe that rough year, the COVID-riddled year, had the least effect on him as opposed to all the other guys who may have better tools, may eventually be better quarterbacks. But he was the one who was coming out most ready for the pro game. Yeah, I mean, you look at... Trevor Lawrence, he probably has the most wow throws so far this year out of all the rookie quarterbacks. I mean, look at that throw he had in the, the back of the end zone the, this, this Sunday. Yeah. It was incredible. Some of the best throws and some of the worst throws. Exactly. you got to love it. He reminds you a lot of, of some of the better quarterback prospects that have come out in our lifetime. Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, guys oh, that came in and threw a we're ton We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Absolutely. I got numbers. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I, think, I think we probably have the same ones, but... Yeah, I mean, it's a great theory. It makes a ton of sense. I don't know how anybody could disprove that, but yeah, it makes sense for sure. 
So we're recording a day late. We had some technical issues in the St. Louis area as far as internet connectivity last night. So we had to push this to Tuesday afternoon. Do you want to talk about either of the primetime games, uh, how your birds uh, did or didn't do last I'd night? I prefer not to talk about Monday night, but <laughs> sure, sure, we'll talk about Sunday night. Uh, well, yeah, I'd love to talk about Sunday night. We will talk about that during the roundup. Just, mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's worth mentioning on the two primetime games because we're not going to talk about them in the roundup. Yeah. Uh, just moving chronologically with the Carolina game, the big one coming out of that, really the only news coming out of that is the Christian McCaffrey injury. Uh, I've been pretty vocal about it, both on here and on Twitter, that I am just not a Chuba Hubbard guy. So for anyone who is able to get this into their earbuds before waivers clear, do not break the bank on this guy if he's sitting out there on waivers. Do not, even if you're the Christian McCaffrey owner, send over some BS offer trying to acquire him. He's going to be a victim of circumstance, and as long as McCaffrey's out, he's going to be relevant, but he's not a talented running back. I always talk about the running back position the same way that I've heard it talk about kickers, where there's a handful of elite guys, game changers. There's a handful of just really terrible guys who are just a victim of circumstance. And then there's probably 20 to 25 interchangeable guys. Chuba Hubbard is that group that should not be a starting running back in the NFL. It's just a victim of circumstance. So do not go break the bank for him. Do not go send away future picks trying to get Chuba Hubbard. I'm not a fan. Leave him on your waivers. I actually prefer, uh, picking up Royce Freeman or maybe trying to get a low ball offer for Freeman to see if he can carve out a role because even though Carolina may not see it and play it this way I think Royce Freeman is just a better running back altogether than Chuba Hubbard absolutely I I think I agree with you 100% Chuba Hubbard is just a guy in my opinion and it's sad to see because it coming into last year in the uh, college football season everyone thought he was going to be like RB1 right if not Travis Etienne so he was a I think he was a Heisman finalist if not he was at least in the conversation yeah and then he goes out puts a Dud on uh, that entire offseason. His pro day was bad. His whole draft process was just poor. And if you're going for a guy who's essentially like a neutral, like a net neutral running back, you definitely don't want to give up like positive value for someone like that, especially when they're ha- they're going to have a limited role, probably going to share carries, and it's going to be limited by time frame as well. Because we know once Christian McCaffrey's healthy, nobody's taking him off the field, especially not a guy mm-hmm. like Chuba Hubbard. It, it reminds me a lot of what we saw a few years ago with Bryce Love. Obviously, the build is a lot different, but look at the way that he dominated the college game. But if you ask yourself, what did Bryce Love do better than anyone else at the NFL level? There's really nothing you can say. And I think the same... Yeah, sure. (laughs) I think the same argument applies to Chuba Hubbard. He doesn't do anything at an elite level, so I'm just out, not interested in it. So that Sunday night game, your Packers took a close one at the end. Uh, Other than the refs, you know, pretty pretty awesome game to watch. That was disgusting. That was disgusting down the stretch, man. It was going to leave such a sour taste in my mouth if they would have lost that game because Jerome Boger, first of all, I'm not going to get fined for this. He's a terrible official. Every game him and his crew officiate is just embarrassing, and there was missed calls left and right, uh, definitely for both teams, but it seemed like in that fourth quarter – uh, San Francisco on a couple of drives was really gifted second chances and opportunities and it made it a ball game and they took the lead obviously with just over 30 seconds left but my gosh Aaron Rodgers is still Aaron Rodgers yeah. if if Green Bay can have their gripes about the penalties then I think San Francisco can have their gripes about the fastest concussion test in the history <laughs> of football <laughs> and I That's, honestly he was, he was probably fine but um, that is kind of like, oh, you know, we had the, all, this whole emphasis on head injuries and safety, and we're going to flag sure. 15 yards. 
and then something like that happens, and he's back in the game. <laughs> so the what they say, or what Devontae Adams said about it is, it wasn't a concussion. He wasn't dazed because of a shot to the head. Is He legit just got his core rocked. I mean, we've all been in that situation where we've just been rocked before. It doesn't necessarily have to mean something to the head. You get hit to the core, you get the air knocked out of you, and you need a minute. You're in a little bit of a daze, but it's not necessarily a concussion. So hopefully everyone's telling the truth there. <laughs> hopefully there's yeah. no long-term thing. But apparently he went into the tent, and they have the uh, – the neutral third party, I guess, doctor there for the examination. And they said it was clear right away that he was not concussed. It wasn't the shot to the head that shook him up. It was the three guys slamming into his torso simultaneously, which I guess is understandable. Yeah. Either way, it made for a great game to watch. That's for sure. Uh, oh, for sure. The Monday night no, it, game, it sucks. not quite Sorry, as fun quick. to watch, but go ahead. Yeah. It, it it's really throwing me off this year because up until this season I've had DirecTV, which I get all the alerts in real time. Twitter is not ruining anything for me, but this year I switched to the whole YouTube TV route and being with the internet, it's like a seven second delay on anything. And so I'm getting texts, I'm getting tweets and all this stuff that I just got to ignore as I see Green Bay marching down the field. And then I finally get a text from my dad and I'm like, all right, he would not be hitting me up if Green Bay just lost. So I got to look at it and it... I, Took all the wind out of my sails. I saw that Crosby had made it before he ever made it. So I, I couldn't handle the suspense, man. I had to dive in and see what happened. This weekend, just kickers stole the show. I mean, it, it was oh, an such incredible a good weekend. weekend for kickers. But, Absolutely. Uh, on Mason the... Crosby had a 51-yard game winner, and it's like the third most impressive special team play to happen <laughs> on the weekend. Yeah. 10, 20 years ago, a 51-yard game winner is like unheard of. That stuff didn't happen. And now Crosby has like three of them in, in his uh, – career it, it's it's just outstanding man yeah. but but oh such a good weekend of football altogether and the quarterbacks that got their teams into field goal uh yeah. positioning you know to even take that shot it you know it's something to be applauded but monday night you had uh the eagles walk into dallas and walk out with their heads hung low they got smashed last night the worst coaching of the weekend goes to Matt Nagy, and I don't think anyone's going to argue that. That was a pathetic performance. But I was just baffled, and I was talking to you about it during the game. I don't know what Nick Sirianni's plan was in that game. It seemed like from the jump, the defense is playing a lot of cover two, cover three, off man, and just not letting Dallas beat them with the big play, even though on their first drive they had the big bomb to CD that brought him down to the goal line. It seemed like it was a very conservative approach on defense, no pressure on Dak. And then on the other side of the ball, which was even worse to me, is they played that whole game acting like they were down 30 points. Like It was no running. I think they had a combined six running back rushes in the entire game. And it was evident from the jump. Obviously, the offense didn't go on the field a lot early. You had Dallas go down and score. Then you had the defensive score on the next drive. There wasn't a lot of time for Philly's offense to be on the field. But when they were on the field, it was a lot of quick possessions. That time and possession battle was completely one-sided. And I think a lot of it has to do with the offensive game plan that Sirianni brought out there. Yeah, I, I should have saw this comment, honestly, as an Eagles fan, seeing what they did week one and week two, staying very conservative, very basic and simple. And you kind of like that from an execution standpoint when you don't have the most talented roster. But when it comes to playing a team as good, in my opinion, as good as the Cowboys, at least offensively, you can't be that simple. They're going to tear you apart. They're, they're too, right. they're too multiple on offense. I mean, they have two fantastic receivers, a third when Michael Gallup's health, healthy, that is better than anybody's third. And then you got two really good running backs, a quarterback, in my opinion, who's been underrated his whole career and an offensive line that's at least middle of the pack. I mean, that's real dangerous. And when you're playing, you know, soft cover two, um, you have your right. linebackers staying at the same depth the entire game. They're just going to get picked apart by uh, tight ends or beaten over the top once or twice, and your offense isn't good enough to catch up. So 
Uh, in my opinion, it was planned to lose, and uh, it was evident from start to finish. Yeah, tale of tale as old as time. It's you weren't out there playing to win; you were out there playing not to lose, and yeah. that's what happens when you play like that. Absolutely. All right, well, man, we're already at twelve minutes in, and we haven't even touched the news, so let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Cannonball! Check it out. Newspapers for sale. We have breaking news. news. I'm toasted. You are fake news. And boom goes the dynamite. Josh Gordon, he's back. He signs with the Chiefs practice squad, expected to be elevated to the active roster. Obviously a surprise. Um, I think this says more about the other wide receivers in Kansas City than it does about Josh Gordon. They must really want to upgrade the position if they're taking a dart throw on a guy who's been out of the league for two years now and has been, uh, you know, difficult to say the least. Yeah, there's not a lot about Josh Gordon that we can say that people out there don't already know. We play this game every single season, but I'll, I'll summarize it in saying it the same way I told you last night in our group chat. There were 31 teams that he could have signed with where he has a 0% chance of being relevant. He signed with the one team to give him a 1% chance of being relevant. And don't don't hear what I'm not saying. It's still a 99% chance that this eventually means nothing. And I'm with you that this probably affects the other guys in that room, the Byron Pringles, Mecole Hardmans, Demarcus Robinson, and their performance through the first three weeks than it does about Josh Gordon. Over to Indy where Marlon Mack and the Colts agreed to negotiate a trade. So Marlon Mack's on the trade block. There's not many teams out there that are usually willing to pay up for a running back. Uh, but a guy of Marlon Mack's um, history, you know, he's shown the ability to take on a workload and be a very productive back, although he is coming off a major injury. Uh, do you think that he's going to land anywhere? And, he, and if so, would you even be too concerned about him taking on a role elsewhere? No, not really. I mean, sorry to be pessimistic, but like you said, coming off the Achilles injury, it makes me wonder a little bit if Indy was sort of showcasing him with that heavy workload in week two, where I, I think he was up, had double digit attempts. I'm not sure off the top of my head, but he got a lot more run than I think we expected. Maybe they were trying to show him off in order to trade him for a, a late conditional seventh somewhere or something. But with these running back rooms like Baltimore and San Francisco picking up guys off the street and suddenly there's a little bit of relevance or at least potential relevance to him, it at least keeps Marlon Mack in that conversation. So over to Jacksonville, the Jaguars trade CJ Henderson and a fifth round pick to the Panthers for Dan Arnold and a third-round pick. So former first-round pick, cornerback C.J. Henderson gets sent away, and the Jaguars bring back one guy who's very near and dear to my heart, Dan Arnold, <laughs> to take over the James O'Shaughnessy role. Uh, Dan Arnold is like, he's like, uh, you know that movie Free Guy? He's like an NPC. He's just like a guy in a video game <laughs> that's just there. He's the Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> Yeah, that may like, be the biggest compliment that you could ever give Dan Arnold is <laughs> to compare him to Ryan Reynolds like that. Yeah, he's just like a random guy. He's just like there. You know, he's like the guy in yeah. Madden you see on the sidelines. It's just like, you know, clapping his The hands. guy that <laughs> they they rendered in like 480p because exactly. they don't they don't want to waste their resources actually detailing him. He <laughs> yeah. gets the generic face to start up. It doesn't uh, look a thing like him. Yep, that's Dan Arnold. <laughs> Sorry, Dan Arnold. <laughs> that's it for news. 
On to the injury roundup. Christian McCaffrey, not expected to go to the IR. That's good news. A hamstring injury obviously can linger quite a few weeks, but at least the possibility is open for him to come back within the next three weeks. Yeah, the expectation is probably missing two weeks right now. So if you are the McCaffrey owner, don't panic. Don't, like we talked about, do not go send the boat over for Chuba Hubbard. Hopefully Christian McCaffrey's back in a couple of weeks. But we did see a similar last season where that couple-week injury turns into a several-week injury, turns into a multi-month injury. So definitely monitor it moving forward. And like I said, I think the dart throw actually being lost in the shuffle here is Royce Freeman, not Chuba Hubbard. I think you can expect them to be pretty conservative with their approach with Christian McCaffrey, considering they are 3-0 and are facing right. a yeah. you know potential playoff berth if they keep things up. So I think they're going to be very cautious with him. I, would, I wouldn't expect him to be back next week, but um, obviously not being on IR, better news than if he was being put on the IR. Over to Tennessee, where A.J. Brown is week to week with a hamstring injury as well. This is fairly big news. I mean, he's been very disappointing so far this year through three weeks. The whole Tennessee offense has, unless your name is Derrick Henry. But A.J. Brown going to miss some time here. Yeah, it really makes my uh, going out and getting Julio Jones a couple of weeks ago in our league of record look good, or at least it would have if Julio would have played in the second half this last game. Uh, we're hearing stories a whole bunch of different ways, saying, one, it was a load management, and then, two, like maybe he pissed off Rabel. No one really knows. But as far as A.J. Brown, I don't think this can affect him. He hasn't had a a strong start to the season, but I'm not I'm not giving up hope on him. He's still an outstanding wide receiver, and in Dynasty, he's still very young. He's got plenty of time to fulfill his potential. Your boy, Rashad Bateman, has returned to practice. Finally, some optimistic news. So, yeah, he's eligible to return this season. Supposed to be, or to, to return this week, rather. Expected to practice this week, but don't be surprised if he doesn't play this upcoming weekend. But we, we've been laying it out almost every show, all the reasons that at least I love Rashad Bateman. I do expect it to be a little bit of a slow transition, given that he missed a lot of training camp, missed, I think, the entire preseason, or maybe played uh, one game, and... Obviously, he's been on the shelf for the last month or so with this injury. So don't expect it to happen day one, the first game out there, that he just blows up a stat sheet. But I do like where he's probably going to be at least later on this season. Yeah, I think Baltimore has to be happy to get him back. I mean, watch what happened this past weekend. They just need somebody who's going to catch the ball when it hits their hands. Uh, James White, he's out indefinitely with a hip. Subluxation. Yeah, I got that one right. There's a fancy word. The same injury that uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick had, the same one that Tua Tungavailoa had. Um, I'm not sure of the severity in terms of how that compares to those guys, but he's definitely, uh, not definitely, he's likely headed to the IR. So if James White goes to the IR, what does that mean for New England's backfield? It's going to be a mess, like it wasn't anyway, right? We saw Damian Harris completely erased from the game script this last week, and it was uh, – I want to call him a journeyman, but I don't know that he's played anywhere else other than New England. Brandon Bolden, the I think he's like, other than James White, he's like eight years older than all the other running backs in that room, but he dominated touches this last week. And so where uh, Ramondre Stevenson or maybe J.J. Taylor may profile a little bit more into that pass-catching role, it might be Brandon Bolden's role. So it's a really messy situation like it usually is in New England. Brandon Bolden has to be like 45. I mean, it seems that way. Remember when Jonas Gray came in and like yes. <laughs> had like 220 yards or something? Gosh, was he on that? Was he in that backfield? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> oh my, that was like 30 years ago. Yeah. Hey, Greg, why don't you go piss your pants again? That was like eight years ago, asshole. People don't forget. Over to Pittsburgh where there's nothing but bad news. Juju Smith-Schuster day-to-day with bruised ribs. So another wide receiver with another injury. 
in Pittsburgh. It seems like everybody who can catch passes there is getting hurt. Um, hopefully he'll be back soon. I wouldn't expect it this upcoming week. And uh, with Deontay Johnson potentially missing another week, you got to look at Chase Claypool as a, as a great option this week. It's not, it's not that uh, predicting injuries, it's not that injuries are something predictable, but when you have a quarterback unwilling to throw the ball more than 10 yards downfield, all these short area targets where all the biggest guys on the defense are at, it's kind of not surprising that the two short area targets, Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith-Schuster, have sustained injuries as early as they can. They're out there getting crushed 10, 15 oh, times yeah. a game between the two of them. Ben's not doing them any favors. No, he's throwing hospital balls left and right, and uh, yeah. he's barely getting the ball there in time anyway. Mm-hmm. Over to Denver, another wide receiver in Denver gets hurt. KJ Hamler out for the rest of the season with a torn ACL. Man, that's rough. Uh, a guy in his second year finally had a nice opportunity to show out with uh, Jerry Judy missing some time, and now he's out for the season. So difficult for Denver having just traded away one wide receiver, having another injury uh, wide receiver go down to injury, and then – K.J. Hamler, they're number two, number three, depending on what situation they're in. He's down for the season now. Crazy. Yeah. The silver lining is that Tim Patrick's role is secure now for the rest of the season. He's going to be at least the number two until Jerry Judy gets back. And even when Judy gets back, he's still going to be on the field in 11 personnel or, or better. So Tim Patrick looks like a good play for the rest of the season for Denver. I heard somebody compare Tim Patrick to the Tyler Boyd role where T. Higgins is the Cortland Sutton role. Um, if you want to okay. compare it to like Cincinnati. So if you guys aren't sure about Tim Patrick or, you know, don't know much about him, you can see him playing a similar role to what you're used to seeing a guy like Tyler Boyd play. Over in Tampa Bay, Joe Bernard is day to day with a slight MCL sprain and the injury looked a lot worse than it was uh, if you saw it towards the end of the game on Sunday. But with that backfield as confusing as it is, uh, maybe this injury clears things up for a week or two. Yeah. I don't think anyone's playable <laughs> is the unfortunate thing. There's so much passing game work that's going to happen. And with Antonio Brown being out this last week with the COVID issues, it seemed logical that Gio Bernard may see a little bit of an increase in volume, which obviously he did. Uh, the really concerning thing about this injury, though, is although it's a different injury, it's his second lower body injury of the season. Remember, he had the minor high ankle sprain uh, right before week one, and now he's dealing with an MCL sprain. So lower body injuries for a running back who's got a lot of miles on him, definitely not encouraging. All right, man, you ready for the weekly recap? Let's do it. We start in Cleveland where Chicago came to town and got dominated 26-6 to as the Justin Fields error starts with a dud. How bad was it? Ask Jimmy Graham. He retweeted this stat on Twitter. The Bears offense averaged just 1.1 yards per play, second fewest by any team in a game this century. And if that wasn't bad enough, Justin Fields was sacked nine times. So I'm usually not worried about one performance, and I'm not really worried about Justin Fields, but man, the more time he spends with this miserable roster and coaching staff, I'm very concerned about it stunning his growth. On the other side, it wasn't pretty, but the Browns won on the back of their running backs, specifically Kareem Hunt, who finished as the RB1 on the week. Nick Chubb also had a solid game, topping 85 yards. Yeah, half of those nine sacks go to just that menace on the edge in Miles Garrett, former number one overall pick, sets a franchise record with four and a half sacks in the game. Odell Beckham is back. He had a 30% target share in his debut, so it looks like he might have a little bit of fantasy relevance. And like we talked about preseason, you get one of those big boom games for him, opens up a cell window. On the other side, Allen Robinson finishes as the wide receiver 77 on the week. He has not finished higher than wide receiver 49 
all season. That Chicago Bears offense, one net passing yard. Gross. To New England, they host the New Orleans Saints. It's the first win for the Saints in New England since 1995. Marquez Callaway, we call the hold before the week. He finishes for four for 41 and a score. We knew this first half schedule for Marquez Callaway. The entire Saints passing game was going to be rough. I'm still holding him. I'm still holding Troutman. On the other side, Jacoby Myers, my buy from last week. He finishes with nine for 94 on 14 targets. Every rookie quarterback so far has had a dot of a game, and this was Mac Jones. He threw 51 times, and he ran the ball six times. Threw a few picks, obviously not all of him. All of them were his fault, but a rough game all around. I think you can kind of disregard a lot of the workloads here because game script really drove this game early. And, uh, yeah, that's about all i got to say about New England. But we head over to Tennessee where the Titans keep the Colts winless by a score of 25-16. to Carson Wentz ended up playing all the snaps of quarterbacks, so no dual system quarterback system just yet. Uh, but he was fairly ineffective. And uh, the, the, the one positive there, though, he targeted Michael Pittman at a very high rate. It's the second time we saw that. So you Michael Pittman owners maybe have something to look forward to there. Jonathan Teller, owners, they, you got to be pretty frustrated at this point. Naheem Hines continues to take carries away and most of the targets out of the backfield. So not looking good for Jonathan Taylor as the season goes on. Derrick Henry, this is interesting. He already has 11 receptions, which doesn't sound like a lot, but his career high in a season is only 19. So he's on pace to shatter that mark. Yeah, the Indy offense has looked rough for Tennessee. Julio Jones, like we talked about earlier, plays just 50% of the snaps in this game, almost all of those coming in the first half. Uh, dual threat Derrick Henry, like you said, double-digit catches as part of the season, and he also has 353 on the ground. That's tied for the most in team history. Woo! A stunner in Detroit. Obviously, Justin Tucker, he's going to steal the day with a 66-yard NFL record game-winning field goal as time expires. Mark Andrews has seen his target share increase in every week this season, so a bit of a sigh of relief for any Mark Andrews truthers. DeAndre Swift finishes with 21 opportunities as opposed to Jamal Williams' 14. He had the injury with the groin that was keeping him out early in the season, starting to get more and more playing time as we progress. In the receiving game, Khalif Raymond for Detroit finishes with 10 targets. No other Detroit wide receiver had more than one. Wow. Lamar really spread the ball around in this one. I mean, he had seven targets apiece for Mark Andrews, Sammy Watkins, and Hollywood Brown. And uh, on the other side, DeAndre Swift, man, he's looking like the value, the biggest value in drafts at his position so far this year. And uh, you heard it here last week, but in case you missed it, the Chargers upset the Chiefs in Arrowhead 30-24. to So an uncharacteristic game for Pat Mahomes. He throws two interceptions, but one was a bona fide drop by the receiver, not his fault. So I wouldn't be too worried about Pat Mahomes. Justin Herbert. My lord, he finished with 280 yards and four touchdowns. This is one of the best performances I've seen out of him in his young career. And two of those touchdowns went to Mike Williams. He finished with career highs in yards with 122 and touchdowns with two touchdowns. Austin Eckler, contributing all over the field, as usual, finished with over 100 scrimmage yards for the second straight week. Yeah, Kansas City, time to hit the panic alarm. They may be, when the season ends, the worst 15-2 and team of all time. First time they've suffered back-to-back -back losses since week five and six of 2019. I'm not worried at all if that sarcasm didn't leak through. The Chargers, through three weeks, have a top five running back and a top five wide receiver, just like we all predicted. Austin Eckler and Mike Williams. 
Down to Jacksonville, the Arizona Cardinals sort of steal one for what was a rough game for them. Arizona's their first 3-0 start since 2015 when they went on to the NFC Championship game. Quarterbacks with multiple picks. This is the number we were alluding to before we started. Quarterbacks with multiple turnovers in each of their first three games. Jim Zorn, Troy Aikman, Peyton Manning, Blake Bortles, and Trevor Lawrence. I see four Hall of Famers and a future Hall of Famer in Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I mean, I have this almost the exact same stat written down here. I mean, he's thrown seven interceptions now. Only seven quarterbacks have thrown that many or more in their first three games. And in my opinion, the most predictive one, Peyton Manning, the sheriff. All right, over to the Steel City, where Cincinnati took advantage of a beaten and battered Pittsburgh team. They won 24-10. Without Deontay Johnson from the start and Juju for most of the second half, all the work was funneled to Najee Harris. He saw 14 carries and 19 targets, the second most by running back in one game of all time, second only to Alvin Kamara, who once had 20 targets. Najee Harris has seen... 90% of his rushing yards after contact. And I think that says more about the Steelers' offensive line than it does about Najee Harris. Uh, Joey Bones on the other side, solid day, save for one interception. But Jamar Chase was really the story. He has four touchdowns through his first three games. Only four receivers of all time have done that. Andre Davis, Roy Williams, Calvin Ridley, and your boy, Martavius Bryant. Oh, why has he got to be my boy? You loved him. All right. <laughs> yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed that two or three weeks he was relevant but since you stole my pittsburgh stat i will bring up that they lost two more offensive linemen offensive linemen offensive linemen for a unit that was already one of the worst Those damn the offensive linemen <laughs> and then another jamar chase uh stat his start to a season has been historic he's the only player in the super bowl era with a 30 yard receiving touchdown in each of his first three career games now Buffalo, they get back on track offensively against the Washington football team. Josh Allen, the first bill ever with four passing touchdowns, a rushing touchdown, and no interceptions in a game. And then Zach Moss has seen his rush share go from zero, 38%, and then 54% this last week. Stephon Diggs still without a top 24 week, but has had at least a 23% target share in each game this season. Yeah, Josh Allen and those bills really settled in. It's good to see. But on the other side, Washington defense is not what they were a year ago. They've allowed touchdowns on 59% of their opponent's drives so far this year. Their pass rush is still top 10 by all the major metrics that are tracked, like pass rush, win rate, and all that. But it's not really producing sacks, and I think it's because of the terrible play on the second and third levels of the defense. So maybe we don't have to look at them as such a difficult matchup fantasy-wise from here on out. Shout out Antonio Gibson, the longest player of his short career. One target, one catch for 73 yards and a score. And, uh, speaking, Efficiency. Yeah. And uh, yeah, speaking of disappointing defenses, Atlanta headed into New York and beat the Giants on a last-second field goal. And these teams are bad. But uh, Cordell Patterson, one of the things we were looking for coming into the Week 3 preview, uh, he topped 100 yards, which was pretty great. I mean, against a pretty poor Giants defense, but it seems like he's getting a lot of work and someone that you might be able to throw in as a flex. Uh, Kyle Pitts, and he really needs to start producing to pay off his redraft price, but obviously in Dynasty, he's worth the patience that's needed right now. And Saquon Barkley gave us a solid performance, 94 yards and a touchdown, but I still am concerned about his uh, season-long outlook. I'll echo that sentiment. As far as Kyle Pitts, yeah, rough showing, just two for 35, but he's still the tight end seven on the season without getting into the end zone yet. Part of that has to do with the Falcons being one of only three teams in the NFL without a 40-yard passing play all season. Calvin Ridley averaging under nine yards per catch. Matt Ryan looks like a shell of himself. 
And on the other side, it's not that much more encouraging. Daniel Jones has thrown 20-plus yards downfield on just 5% of his passes this season. I've got a surprise for you a little bit later when you find out who's actually leading in that stat. And Evan Ingram in his debut goes just 2 for 21 on 6 targets. The undefeated Raiders continue their streak in overtime over the Miami Dolphins. Raiders 3-0 start for the first time since 2002, which, remember when, they lost in the Super Bowl to John Gruden's Buccaneers. Brian Edwards has more receiving yards in overtime this season than in the first four quarters of play. That is amazing. That's insane. Yeah, Miami went up 14-0 halfway through the first quarter in this one, and then they didn't score again until halfway through the fourth quarter. So it's just too little too late. It's hard to overcome the, the poor quarterback play that they're experiencing. But it was good to see Will Fuller get some really high-value targets. I mean, he had one drop that in the end zone that would have won on the game, but really encouraging to see him back in the field. And uh, no surprises with this next matchup as they're going to see the Denver Broncos, as we saw the Denver Broncos cruise to a victory at home, beating the Jets 26-0. to after throwing four interceptions last week, Zach Wilson played a much cleaner game today, which is good to see, but uh, still getting blanked by Denver, not great. And uh, in a favorable game script, the Broncos divvied up the backfield work fairly evenly as Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams both scored in this one. Yeah, the Jets dropped their 12th consecutive game in September, the longest active streak in the NFL. I had to defend the Jets at work a couple days ago, and it's getting harder and harder to do when they <laughs> yeah, put on showings like this. On the other side, some encouraging news. Teddy Bridgewater has attempted the third most deep passes, 18 passes this season of 20 or more air yards. And Javante Williams, like you said, scores his first NFL touchdown, but also loses a fumble at the goal line. On now to a preview, perhaps, of the NFC Championship game. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers lose to the L.A. Rams. Tampa, their first loss since week 12 of last season. This team had been red hot. Cooper Cup has five touchdowns in just three games. He had three touchdowns all of last season. Yeah, I know Robert Woods is known as, like, the route runner for the Rams, but, damn, Cooper Cup is almost uncoverable right now. It's really impressive. Tom Brady has 10 touchdowns through three games, his most touchdowns to start a season since 2011. Seattle falls to Minnesota in Minnesota as they fall to one and two. Kirk Cousins stays efficient, stays effective. Really surprising me to start the year, uh, but it's good to see. And that that uh, regression that everybody was predicting for Adam Thielen is slowly coming, if it's coming at all. Yeah, the Vikes get the win over the Hawks. Russell Wilson, his first ever loss to the Minnesota Vikings. He was 7-0 up until this point, if you include the playoffs. Tyler Lockett struggles, but Metcalf booms. He goes for 6-107 and in the score. Jefferson, Thielen, both top 12 receivers through three weeks. And then we talked about it a little bit earlier, Sunday night primetime. Green Bay and San Francisco, they win on a last-second field goal. Overshadowed by Justin Tucker, Mason Crosby, like we talked about, a 51-yard game winner. Nice to see Trey Sermon and Brandon Ayuk both get their first touchdowns of the young season. Yeah, it seems like all the work in Green Bay funnels between two players, Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams. And as of right now, those are the only guys I think that are really worth throwing out there in fantasy, other than obviously um, Aaron Rodgers. And then on the other side, Brandon Ayuk, good to see him start getting some work. Trey Sermon, I wish he was a little bit more effective with, with the work that he got, but at least he's out there getting some work as a rookie. Uh, something that we obviously didn't get to see in week one and very limited in week two. Uh, we talked about it. Philly went into Dallas and got uh, bludgeoned. They got beat to death on the ground and then sliced through the air as well. Uh, Jalen Hurts saved his fantasy day with a garbage time touchdown, some extra yards to get over 300. Otherwise, though, it was a pretty disappointing performance from him. And Miles Sanders 
getting little to no work in this one. Game script kind of took over, but he only had, I believe, four rushes in this one. Yeah, not some great weeks as far as the stat sheets go for the last few weeks for Jalen Hurts, but he's still a top 10 quarterback so far on the season. When that boom week does come, I expect him to catapult up the rankings. That's it for the weekly recap. So now it's time we'll head into our contenders and rebuilders buys and sells. But let's look to last week to do a little follow-up on our picks from a week ago. So my rebuilder buy was Zach Wilson. Um, I still believe in that, despite the miserable start to his season. And my rebuilder sell was Dalvin Cook. He just happened to miss a game right after that and kind of bringing up some of the things that I was afraid of. So I do have some numbers based on my contender by today that is almost going to support your argument that you made last week on Zach Wilson. So stay tuned for that. I got the contenders today. Last week, I picked George Kittle. He goes for over 100 yards. He was the smash that we expected him to be. My contender cell was Marquise Brown. And my gosh, stone hands this last week. He was just that close to having a huge blow-up game. But this is the reason that I'm telling you to sell. If you're a contender, the kind of week that Marquise Brown likes to have every now and then where he just completely sinks you, and it seems like that big play is right off his fingertips or just outside his reach, they're way too common for someone who's making a championship push. So that's why he was my contender cell last week. Obviously, George Kittle was a smash, so... I like to feel like I nailed both of those picks last week. Yep, well, it's time to nail them this week. You're up first. Contender bye, who you got? All right, so my contender buy for this season, for this week, Corey Davis, wide receiver for the New York Jets. And like I said, later on in this conversation, we're going to talk a little bit about why you and I seem to be a little more optimistic about the Jets than I think your average fan would be, at least for a few of the guys we're talking about in this offense. So right now, Corey Davis is the wide receiver 35 in PPR, the wide receiver 28 in standards. So a wide receiver three, no matter the format, he's solid. That's something you need. Even if you're only in a two wide receiver league, you can throw him out as a flex play and he's been just fine. His 22% target share leads the team. He's currently on pace for 96 catches for 827 yards and 11 touchdowns. And a lot of that has to do with the multi-touchdown game that he gave you back in week one. So right now, looking at the Jets, it's not very encouraging. And I choose to look at that as nowhere to go but up. They currently rank 30th in the NFL in passing yards. And the big reason for that, look at the three defensive they played. Carolina, who leads the league in passing yards allowed. New England, who is fifth. And Denver this last week, who is second. So three top five passing defenses to open up their season. How were they going to start strong? Like If he would have blown up three of the best defenses so far in the season early on, we'd be talking about him in the same way, the same vein that we talk about Justin Herbert last season. Like, it was impossible for him to start strong this season. The fantasy playoffs, looking down the road, looking at Corey Davis, looking at this Jets offense, is definitely not the gauntlet that they've experienced in the first three weeks of this season. Fantasy playoffs has some beautiful matchups as far as fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. So in week 15, sorry, I got to keep doing the math in my head with this extra week. Week 15, they get Miami, who has been average right now. They've allowed the 15 most 15th most points to wide receivers. Jacksonville, who we know can't really stop anyone. They have allowed the 12th most. And then Tampa Bay, 
who, yeah, they're a stout defense, they're the defending champs, but they've allowed the most fantasy points to wide receivers to kick off this early season. Corey Davis is the alpha in this passing game. I like Elijah Moore long-term, and I like what he's going to bring. And Jamison Crowder, he's going to be fine. I think he's going to cut a lot more into Elijah Moore's role early on. But the pace that Corey Davis is at so far, 96 catches and 11 touchdowns. He's doing that against these tough defenses. Carolina, New England, Denver, three top five defenses. And Corey Davis has been fine. When these matchups start to switch, when we see these more beatable defenses come to New York, when we see that improvement from Zach Wilson, when we see Robert Sala start to get his feet under him as a rookie head coach, these are all things that are going to happen throughout the season. And it doesn't mean the Jets are going to be playoff contenders by the end of the season or anything close to it, but they're going to be better than they are right now. This is the absolute seller, bottom, floor, lowest spot for the New York Jets offense right now. Now is the time to buy in if you're so inclined to get yourself someone who can play that wide receiver three role or that flex role and help you in pursuit of a championship. Hey, you know I can't quit the Jets, so I'm all bored. Uh, but a little something I think we can add to this one uh, that can help uh, soothe some of the concerns. So Zach Wilson has been pressured more than any quarterback in the league to start off the year. I believe his he was pressured at above 50% this past week. So he's getting ran around like crazy. And when a quarterback is pressured like that, these longer developing routes don't have time to develop. And when you're an outside receiver like Corey Davis, he runs a lot more of those, those longer developing routes. So, yep. you know, Absolutely. you could see more boom weeks um, when Zach Wilson gets his feet underneath him and Corey Davis can start to run those more uh, efficient routes when it comes to scoring fantasy points. So it's a little... And the uh, good news is he provides you that ceiling like you're talking about, but that large target share like we talked about, over 20%, that's going to keep the floor in play too. So even if he doesn't have that big blow-up week, he has a very safe floor. Yeah, I like the landing spot for him in the offseason, and I think it's about it's about time for that to start paying off. And if you're a contender, it's a good buy for sure. I got to say real quick, did I just say Corey Davis has a safe floor? Tell me a calendar year ago that... Corey Davis has a safe floor, and I'll uh, smack future me out of existence. Who would have thought? <laughs> yeah, he was the guy who would have 160 yards and two touchdowns like twice a year split up by like eight weeks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He would get 90% of his fantasy points in about three weeks over the course of the season. Absolutely. All right, over to the rebuilder buy. I got this one, and it is Cole Komet. So Cole Komet, currently the tight end 32. Not exactly uh, a great start to his season. Um, he's not startable in even the deepest of leagues so far. Uh, it's kind of crazy considering the way he finished 2020. I mean, he had a lot of hype coming into the year. Uh, he had a great opportunity in this offense considering there's only really one alpha there. And the draft capital that they spent on him suggested that they really want to use him. So if you believe in his talent and what we've seen from him so far, as I think you should, then understand this. The quarterback play and the coaching staff are bad right now. Like keywords being right now. So let's look to last year when he had kind of a mini breakout. He was catching passes from Mitch Trubisky. Not a great quarterback, but he at least shown the ability and the intention to hit the tight end on a regular basis. By the end of the year, weeks 10 to 17, he was averaging an 85% snap share and about six targets per week, which if you put that into this year, that would be the tight end six in terms of targets per game. He'd be right middle of pack tight end one in terms of the opportunity that he's getting per game. In, uh, in week one, he was catching passes from a similar level quarterback in uh, a 2021 version, Andy Dalton, and uh, he continued with that high target total. You know, these quarterbacks that have played the game for a little while, I think they understand the value of targeting tight ends, even if they're not the most um, 
aggressive or effective quarterbacks. He had seven targets a week one with Andy Dalton. That was second out of all tight ends in terms of targets. So impressive stu- stuff as a rookie considering um, he was getting the targets, and we know targets are a talent-based statistic. So let's fast targets forward. Targets are earned. Yeah, targets are definitely earned. So weeks two and three, this is where things really went off the rails. He had a total of five targets over those two weeks for one catch of 11 yards. So can you remember what else happened after week one? Andy Dalton got hurt and Justin Fields Mm -hmm. came in. This offense has been abysmal since then. And I'm not saying this is all Justin Fields' fault. I'm just saying that the change of quarterback directly correlates to his direct downfall of his production and peripheral numbers. So you would think with logical coaching uh, that you would want your young quarterback throwing to tight ends, giving him easier reads and easier completions. But we're talking about Matt Nagy here, and he's not logical. You know, past this past week is proper evidence of that. So why do you want to buy a guy who's dealing with all this uh, turmoil? Well, I mean, you can just look to Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson over the last two weeks, he's also underperformed massively. Four catches for 52 yards and one touchdown. That's the points per game wide receiver 74 on the year. What about Darnell Mooney, the guy who... At the same, you know, in the offseason was getting a lot of hype at, over the past not two weeks. <laughs> not from you, but uh, from <laughs> a lot of people. Uh, over that same time frame, he had seven catches for 75 yards, no touchdowns. The points per game, wide receiver 68 on the year. So I know there's some contention about Darnell Moody's talent, but Allen Robinson is a proven wide receiver with a top 10 talent. So the point is that the issues that are plaguing Cole Komet are affecting everybody in Chicago, regardless of talent level. It's poor quarterback play and even worse coaching right now. But if you believe in Justin Fields like I do, you got to think that the quarterback play is going to get better. And if you believe Matt Nagy is as bad as I believe he is, you got to think he's gone by the end of this year. So things are going to change drastically, and they usually do um, for young pass catchers that are in bad situations that have a lot of good, uh, have a good talent profile. And I think if you're a rebuilder, now is the time to get him because he can be your tight end one. That you know that your future at the tight end position for your team if you're a rebuilder. Yep. And it's got to be the easiest to get him now than it has been through his short career so far, having been the the tight end thirty two on the year. Yeah, I, I love this pick for so many reasons. Cole Komet, first off, I'm just sold on him as a player. He, he's an incredibly physical player, six six two sixty. The guy is a pure effing cannonball out there when he has the ball in his hands he's still only 22 years old he's the same age as Justin Fields to break out that early is not only uncommon it's unheard of so the fact that he hasn't done it is not concerning for me at all what is very encouraging for me is his snap share that we've seen from him on the season obviously last year he was competing with Jimmy Graham for the majority of the season where he took over the role uh, as starter later on but it's been all him in year two he's had a 70 percent snap share in all three games in this last week against cleveland one positive if you can find one in that entire game is he saw a snap share rise up to 96 percent that's that's crazy for a tight end that's like george kittle travis kelsey numbers you don't see that from a tight end and they were willing to play their 22 year old tight end i like this one also because i feel like this is a window that's going to stay open i don't expect this offense to improve overnight or probably really for at least the first half of the season. Yeah, and, and I skipped over this part. I don't know how I missed this, but I forgot to mention, Allen Robinson is playing on the franchise tag, obviously, and the Bears don't yeah. really have the cap room to bring him back at the salary that he desires. So he's going to want to stay in town for them to make it work with him. Uh, Jimmy Graham is a free agent after this year. 
Uh, Darnell Mooney's locked up until 2024, but the rest of the depth chart is just all journeyman backups. So you got to think the opportunity is going to be there for quite some time for Cole Clement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jesse James, Jake Butt, these guys don't exactly inspire fear as far as Cole Komet losing snaps in that offense. So I love it. You ready to get to the cells? Absolutely. Sell. No, 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 take, just get it out of here. You can sell anything, sell, sell, sell me this pen right here. You can sell anything, sell that. We all sell out every day. Might as well be on the winning team. All right, so our contender sells for me. I'm going with Henry Ruggs. Henry Ruggs, a guy who, for me, for a lot of people, was kind of left for dead during this last offseason. Just the way he did not perform in his rookie year. And he's he's had a renaissance as far as where his value's at in the fantasy community right now. He's had a good, solid start to the season. He's a top 30 wide receiver, depending on the format. He's 28 in PPR, 21 in standard. He's had a really hot start to the season. But he's doing that in spite of his situation, in spite of his talent, in my opinion, as opposed to because of it. So let's dive a little deeper. Right now, Henry Ruggs is averaging 21.5 yards per catch, which leads the league for all pass catchers with more than eight catches. That's not sustainable. That's not going to happen. I know they drafted Henry Ruggs to be this guy, but 21.5 yards per catch is next world. It's not something that's going to continue. He only has a 14% target share on the team. That's rough. That's third just on the Raiders. That's not a sustainable fantasy option. Right now, you've been living and dying with him on the deep ball. That bomb broken play and Derek Carr has been coming through. The Raiders offense as a whole has been coming through. They lead the NFL in passing yards by a pretty significant margin. It's over a 100-yard margin just through three weeks of the young season. That's not going to continue. That's not going to be their game plan. They've won or lost every single game this season on the last play. This is not something that's going to last the entire season. So, amongst those pass catchers on the Raiders, for every single Oakland, oh, sorry, L.A. Raider who has caught a pass, he ranks second to last in catch percentage, trailing only or leading only Josh Jacobs, who's not exactly known as a pass catcher. The fantasy playoffs, looking down the ropes, we're talking about our contender sell, someone who I don't think is going to help anyone win a championship this season. The fantasy playoffs this season, he gets Cleveland. We saw that defense on full display this last week against Chicago. Denver, who we've talked about already several times just in the show, is one of the premier pass defenses in the league. And then Indianapolis, who's off to a little bit of a slower start, but I expect to sort of figure things out, even if it's not to get back to that playoff contention level. I expect them to be playing for something and be playing at a better level. So three really tough defenses in the fantasy playoffs. And with that low target share, that sub-15% target share, you have to have that smash 40-plus yard touchdown in order for him to not sink your week. And Don't get me wrong. He may do it once. He may do it twice. He may do it several more times before this season's done, but he does not present any sort of floor. So all it takes is that one week in the fantasy playoffs against one of these great defenses like Cleveland or Denver, and you're done. Your playoff push is finished because Henry Ruggs just sunk you. If you believe in Las Vegas, if you believe in the Raiders and their 3-0 start and you think the passing offense is going to be legit, that this uh, offensive volume is going to continue, I buy Brian Edwards. Brian Edwards has been 10 times as efficient as Henry Ruggs has been for the start of the season. Henry Ruggs, 
like we talked about, has no floor. Brian Edwards, even in his low-target games, just consistently comes through. He he provides much more of a floor. So if you are if you can make that trade straight up, that's a deal I love making, whether I'm a contender or a rebuilder, because I think Brian Edwards is just a much better football player than Henry Rux. I liked him better as a prospect straight up. He provides a much higher floor. And as soon as we see a little bit of a transition, and I don't expect Oakland, or sorry, I keep doing it, LA to go away, sorry, Las Vegas, Wherever these Raiders play, I don't expect Darren Waller to relinquish being the number one target. But I do expect maybe Hunter Renfro to start taking that step back as a safety blanket. And I expect Brian Edwards to actually be the one who grows into that role. Henry Ruggs is an explosive playmaker, but he's not a safety blanket. And if we know Derek Carr, it's that he likes that safety blanket. That's why we see the Raiders consistently leading the league in target share to tight ends. And yes, Darren Waller's partly... uh, deserving of that he's an amazing tight end is he an elite tight end but Derek Carr likes that easy check down that guy who's open by five plus yards and Henry Ruggs is never going to be that guy I'm not going to be the one with him on my roster while I'm making a playoff push just waiting for me to sink my season yeah a player like Henry Ruggs is a you know he's a very stereotypical deep threat wide receiver and I mean you look at one of the best of all time to do it Deshaun Jackson even in his prime and when he was scoring a ton of touchdowns, even, you know, he was tanking your week some weeks because of the volatility of that role. It's a very fragile role. And Henry Ruggs, uh, in my opinion, is no Deshaun Jackson. He's not even close. And if you are relying on a guy like that, um, to, to score you points on a regular basis, you're really, you're really rolling the dice. You know, I could see you throwing him out there if you're a big time underdog and you're kind of hoping. And uh, praying for that one big deep shot. But if you're a contender, chances are you don't need a guy like that. Um, so right. get rid of him for what you can. Uh, but he said, you know, let somebody else deal with those problems and uh, you know, have them buy that upside. It's a very common theme for me. I noticed on my first few weeks of sells is I'm selling a lot of these volatile guys who have gotten off to hot starts. And it's not to say that you don't want to chase ceiling. But the ceilings I'm chasing are... Guys, obviously, like Cooper Cup, Tyler Lockett, and it seems obvious to say that, Brandon Cooks, uh, these guys that can take the top off a of defense, but they also provide a floor because they're just good wide receivers. They're more than one-trick ponies. So, girls, go out there and get you a guy who can do both. <laughs> girls. <laughs> get or you guys, a man. I mean, wh- whoever wants it. Get you a man. All right. All right. My- <laughs> I'm going to the Rebuilder cells, and I have Tom Brady. TB12. So this one's pretty straightforward, but I think it deserves some attention. Tom Brady has been great so far in 2021, sitting pretty as the QB1. So some people predicted a great season fantasy-wise from Tom, but you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody who was touting him as the QB1. His his reputation is very high in fantasy communities right now, especially in your um, seasonal players, guys that aren't doing this you know as hardcore as, as hopefully you and I. So how is he doing this though? You know, why is Tom Brady the QB one? He's throwing a ton of touchdowns. You know, he has nine passing touchdowns already. And it's not a surprise for a guy of his talent, but he also has a great supporting cast. And it's not just a lot of touchdowns. It's a historical amount, even for Tom Brady. I mean, I said it earlier. I'll say it again. 10 touchdowns through three weeks is the second most through three weeks of his 21 year career. And the last time he did this was 2011. So not only is, is Tom throwing a lot of touchdowns, but the Tampa Bay offense as a whole only has one rushing touchdown. And guess who ran it in? Tom Brady. So, <laughs> so as always, uh, you know, spotting regression is the name of the game when it comes to selling guys and, and recouping value in a trade. 
And that's the primary driver here. We want to get as much value for a guy with a really big name and a lot of early season production. And some production that, in my opinion, is almost unsustainable. I mean, the pass-to-touchdown ratio, pass-to-rush-touchdown ratio in Tampa Bay is unsustainable. It'll surely start to normalize as the season goes on. They will have some rushing touchdowns, and they will be by some players other than Tom Brady. So I, I, I don't think he's going to gain as many points from those touchdowns, which obviously is the main reason why he's the QB1. So you can look to him to start falling in the rankings. But getting rid of the QB1 at his peak is obviously ideal if you think he's going to fall like I do. He also doesn't have the benefit of rushing. You know, He doesn't run the ball. Right now, he's 27th mm-hmm. on the QB rushing, rushing list. Right, and that's this early in the season. I'm sure he's going to get even lower on that list. He only has 19 yards rushing right now. So his floor on a week-to-week basis is probably a little lower than you think when it comes to those Tampa Bay Buccaneers figuring some things out on Absolutely. defense. He's not going to be throwing the ball as much, um, and he's not going to be throwing as many touchdowns, and they're also going to run some in. So I know he's very old, and it's hard to sell old players, but I think if you're a rebuilder, it's time to get almost anything you can out of Tom Brady before – you know, he retires. Who knows? He might be this offseason that he retires, and you don't want to be stuck holding the bag, even though that bag is as pretty as Tom Brady. <laughs> he is a very, very pretty man. But I, I like this one a lot because I think it works in no matter what format you have, whether it's a super flex or a single quarterback league. Usually, you coming into last season, really the last half decade or so, Tom Brady didn't have amazing value in single quarterback leagues because of a lot of the reasons you mentioned he doesn't run the football and you have to hope that he's going to throw for 50 touchdowns every year to kind of recoup value but the start that he's gotten off to has just been scorched earth he's thrown 50 or more passes in two of the first three games and the game he didn't throw over 50 passes he threw five touchdowns like I get that it's Tom Brady and he's not human we say it every week but you can collect on this. If you can turn Tom Brady in with a rebuilder, if you could turn Tom Brady into like it's hard to narrow it down to one. There's so many young quarterbacks who I'd rather have on a rebuilder. If you could turn him into uh, Justin Herbert or a Lamar Jackson or a Jalen Hurts or one of these other quarterbacks who are 20 years younger and may have a few fewer points on the season right now. Like in single quarterback, you need that elite quarterback like it's elite or you're streaming and you're looking for weekly matchups and you may be able to pedal Brady as an elite quarterback I don't think he finishes here like I don't wow. think he finishes in the top two or three quarterbacks on on the year the start he's off to is amazing I don't want to discount that and I think it's because of that that he's at peak value and I don't even know if I want to limit this to a rebuilder so I I'm okay with selling him in pursuit of a ship to sort of elongate my window. Maybe I could turn a Tom Brady into a Russell Wilson and find someone who I think has just as much upside, just as high a floor, and probably has at least another five years in the league the way that they've been playing. That's a move that I like even for a contender. So I'm on board with that. Recoup the max value for Brady because that's where he's at right now. Yeah, I mean, theoretically, everyone should sell the oldest player in the NFL. But the window to sell him is only shrinking as the days go on, obviously. Uh, as you know, Like I said earlier, nobody would be surprised if he retired after this year. So e- even if you're a contender, I agree. If you don't think this is going to continue like we don't, then you know, get rid of him. Even if you get not proper value for him, at least you're getting something. You know what I mean? Like th- mm-hmm. There's a chance that he ends up on your team uh, headed into retirement and you're just stuck with a guy on your roster that you're going to have to drop and pick up you know, some undrafted free agent wide receiver. Get something out of them. All right, man, that's it for our buys and sells. Pretty good one this week, I think. 
Uh, we got done the recap, did some news and notes, some injury roundup. And now it's time for my favorite segment. Do you remember? It's my week, right? Yes, it's your week. <laughs> okay, sorry. I've, I've been in the gym a lot. Oh, hell yeah. I'm down, I'm down 50 pounds Holy since the Super Bowl. Holy shit. 50 pounds? Hit that benchmark, God, that's baby. Awesome, Starting to put on some tone now. So sorry, you caught me flexing in the that's, camera. That's Thank sweet. God we're not a YouTube show yet. All right. Yet. So I'm a, Keyword, yet. Remember Ricky Prohl? Ricky Prohl? Dude, you're going to kill me. I don't. I don't remember this. You don't, dude. Who is this? He had <laughs> such a long career. He was big for me when I was a kid growing up in St. Louis with the Rams. He's a wide receiver for the Rams, but he played he played 17 seasons in the NFL. Holy cow. So he was actually drafted by the Phoenix Cardinals, Cardinals in 1990, the same year I was born. Played four years from them before he played a year for the Arizona Cardinals. Went on to the Seattle Seahawks for a couple years. Chicago Bears sort of found his home for about five, six years there. But the St. Louis Rams, he was part of that greatest show on turf team. Obviously overshadowed by Isaac Bruce, Torrey Holt, and Marshall Falk, all the amazing players they had there. But he was definitely a known name. Finished out his career uh, with the Indianapolis Colts in 06 and then had about three years with the Carolina Panthers there in between. But he actually had a really solid career. He was never like an alpha or I don't think he made any pro bowls or anything like that, which may be why you don't remember the name, but he was a steady like wide receiver two, wide receiver three, seven, 800 yards a year type season finishes with over 8,000, almost 9,000 career passing yards or, or sorry, receiving yards. That'd have been really impressive, but yeah, Ricky Pro. Wow. Imagine being a, you know, wide receiver four or five on the greatest show on turf. <laughs> That's got to be yeah. a great gig. <laughs> you just watch yeah. those guys just you know go for a hundred and two each game, and you're just like, man, this is fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, that that one Rams team, he was very solid. Forty catches, five hundred sixty three yards, and five touchdowns. That's awesome. That's like, uh, yeah, that he kind of reminds me of like a like Jason Avant when he was in Philly. I don't know if you remember yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, like when when Philly was at their best, they had some solid receivers. I mean, To being the best of that era. But, sure, sure. you know, the guys like Jason Avant, those possession receivers, they're always like fan favorites because they would just get smashed in the middle of the field back when hitting wide receivers was still legal. And they would end up with like five, 600 <laughs> yards. But it was always like clutch catches, just, you know, fan favorite guys. So remember, uh, I think it was a week ago, I gave Joseph a die oh, yeah. as my guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You tried to spell it. You failed. Oh. You did horribly. But we talked about how impressive he was on the ground but he had a perfect career passer rating. Mm-hmm. This does not apply to Ricky Pro. Oh, career, no. 0 for 3, 1 pick, a passer rating of negative 136.8. How's that possible? That has to be a glitch in the software. I didn't think you could get negative passer rating. That can't be. That has to be some sort of glitch. <laughs> nope, it's official. NFL.com. Ricky Pro, negative 136. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure zero is as low as it goes. Ricky, what are you passing. doing, dude? Definitely not the quarterback. He's not half the quarterback Joseph Adai was. No. Not even close. No. No, he couldn't sniff Odell Beckham in the pocket. <laughs> All, All right. right. Close this For out. For all y'all out there, follow us on Twitter at FLEXECUTION, F-L-E-X-E-C-U-T-I-O-N. Hit us up. All the late breaking news gets retweeted eventually. Follow me at FF. Did I say eventually? No, immediately. Sorry. <laughs> we, we, are, we are quick You'll on that. You'll get it soon, oh. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> You'll eventually find No, if you want to know... 
sooner than your league mates. Give yourself that competitive advantage. Follow us on Twitter at FFlexecution. If you want my spin on it, follow me at FFMasterDebater. Amen. Have a good one. Peace.